If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 2. Hasn't the Lord blessed our worship uh, with this great choir and orchestra and the leaders? Uh, what a thrilling thing to stand and sing with them and to honor the Lord in a special way. Today is going to be a great day. Sunday, Resurrection Day, great day to worship the Lord. And so today we're going to begin with the message, and this allows me to go and preach in person in each of the services, and so we'll begin with the message today, and then following that, we are going to worship through the Lord's Supper. So we're in Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to really pick up where we left off last week, but before we begin to read that passage, let me just read to you a couple of other verses to set the scene. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. The Bible commands God's people to be holy, to consecrate ourselves and to be holy. What in the world does it mean to be holy? Well, the word holy, as it's used in the Bible, really just means to be different. It means to be separated. It means to be distinct. And so he tells us in this verse that we ought to live different lives than those people who don't know the Lord. The next verse there in Leviticus 20, verse 8 says, Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sets you apart. He said the way in which you're going to be holy, the way in which you're going to be different is that you will follow my instructions. You will keep my statutes and I will set you apart. Now in the New Testament, I'll show you how it reads, Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So at one point, you lived like everyone else, and the Bible calls that darkness. But now, as a child of God, you live in the light. It says, walk as children of the light. Christians ought to be different. Christians ought to stand out as different in this culture that is becoming less godly and more pagan and more superstitious and less God-honoring every single day. The Bible says, and I think I read this verse to you from 1 Peter last week, that we are to be strangers and aliens, exiles in this world. Christians should be different. We should be holy. We should have different priorities. We should have different marriages. We should have a different demeanor, a different attitude. We should have a different moral compass, a different kind of confidence when, when difficulties come. We should have a different kind of love and concern and care for the people around us. We should have a different measure of personal strength. We should have a kind of peace and a kind of resilience that is different from what the world would know. Christians should stand out in this, in this culture. Uh, I remember years ago, my family and I were in uh, China, and we had done the touristy things in China, but uh, a little later, we were spending time in, well, in the interior of China in some places where tourists don't ordinarily go. 
And we were walking through one day a park, and it was filled with families. And we noticed something odd as we walked through this park, and it was a beautiful park, and everybody was very friendly to us and kind to us. But these little kids would run up to us, and then they'd run away. And they'd run up to us, and then they'd run away. And we finally figured out what it was that they were, that they were doing. Their parents were telling them to run and get really close to us and turn so that the parents could snap a picture of their kids with what they call a white person. <laughs> and those people in that interior Chinese town had never in real life seen someone that looked like at least me and my wife and my older two daughters, and we were different. We didn't exactly fit in that culture in the obvious ways, but that, I think, really presents to us a picture of how Christians in a moral sense, in a, in a sense of our attitude and our demeanor and our, and, and our confidence, we ought to stand out. We ought to be different in this world that we live in today. And so we've been studying uh, the Old Testament book of Daniel, the first few chapters. We won't perhaps finish the book, but I, I want to start the, the, the study of Daniel by looking at these stories that we read in the beginning, these historical accounts, and seeing how a man by the name of Daniel and three of his friends chose to live different lives. They were in a culture, they had been taken away from their home culture, and they had been brought to this to this place, to Babylon, where everything was different. The food was different. The language was different. The morals were different. The gods were different. And so they had been brought to this place, and they were presented with a challenge. Do we fit in with the culture, this new culture, or do we stand out? And if we're going to stand out, how do we do so in a way that both honors God and blesses the people? And they found, they found a way. And so two weeks ago, we were in Daniel chapter 1, and we saw how these men, Daniel and his three friends, found themselves in a very difficult spot. It would have been a very hard decision to make, but they decided that they would take a risk. They would take a risk. They would risk their lives and be obedient to the Lord, and God provided for them. And then last week, we saw that uh, specifically Daniel, but also his three friends, were, were, were put in a situation where they had to be different from the people around them because the king had ordered that all the people in this group, and they were in this group, that all of those people would be killed, but Daniel was different, and it changed the whole course of events. Well, today I want us to go back to that same story, Daniel chapter 2, but I want us to notice something a little different today. I want us to see that Daniel and his friends had a very different source for wisdom. Now, that may not sound like the most important issue, but it is. Daniel and his friends looked to a different place for truth, for wisdom, to determine right and wrong than all the other people around them, than all their other peers, and that made a difference. That made a difference. It's important, moms and dads, it's important as you raise your children that you point to the right places for them to determine what is right and wrong, 
for them to determine what is good and bad, for them to determine what is important and unimportant, for them to determine the places where you can compromise and places where you cannot compromise. And we learn that, I think, from this, uh, from this account. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, we read these verses last week, but let's read them again. The Bible says, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, the mediums, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And when they came, they stood before the king. So the king has this dream. He's very bothered by it. And so he brings in his advisors to help him uh, with the dream and its interpretation. Verse 3, he said to them, I have had a dream and I'm anxious to understand it. And then the Chaldeans, they really represented this class of wise men, these advisors. The Chaldeans spoke to the king, may the king live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. So they said, tell us what the dream is. We'll tell you what it means. Well, uh, the king wasn't going to fall for that. So the next verse says, the king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made like a garbage dump. He said, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You're going to have to interpret the dream without hearing the dream. But before you interpret the dream, you got to tell me the dream that I'm not going to tell you, but you got to tell me because I want to see if in fact you know the truth. I want to see if in fact you are hearing from the gods. So first you tell me the dream and then you, then you tell me the interpretation. Now, why do you think the king demanded something that sounds so crazy? This was an impossible request. Why did the king ask his advisors to tell him the dream that they had not heard from him? Why would he ask such a thing? Well, I think it's very important, the answer. The king here wasn't nuts. He, he, the king wasn't just setting up his advisors for failure. The king wasn't looking for an excuse to execute his advisors. He could have executed them whenever he wanted to. This king was notorious for all the people he had executed. No, he, he believed that these men, with proper motivation, could provide the answers that he asked. He believed that these wise men, these advisors, these Chaldeans, that they could give him the information. They could tell him what the dream was. They could give him the interpretation, that they would have the knowledge, that they would have the truth. Now, why would the king think that they could do that? Well, because they probably told him they could do it, right? They probably for years had been telling him things and they told him that they got this information from the gods. They were telling him things and saying, King, we know we're wise. We, we have connections with the truth. And so when we tell you something, it's true. We know the truth. Ask us. We know the truth. We're in connection with the source of truth. We know the gods. We talk to the gods. You can count on us. And so the king believed that they, that they could do what he asked them to do that he could give them, they could give him the information. The problem was these men 
these advisors couldn't do it. In verse 11, if you skip down a little bit, the advisors speak. They say what the king is asking is so difficult that no one could make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. To which the king probably thought, well, that's not what you said yesterday, okay? I mean, you've been saying that you're speaking for the gods all this time, and now you don't have an answer to the question. Well, uh, the order was issued that all the wise men, both those that were present and those that were not present, and this group would have included Daniel and his three friends, that all the wise men would be, should be executed that night. And so they go to gather up all of the wise men. I'm skipping down to verse 16. Uh, because when Daniel, when he hears about this, he's going to have a different source for truth. And I want you to see it. Daniel chapter 2 verse 16 says, So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. Daniel said, King, just give me a little bit of time because I can, I can answer this question. I can interpret uh, your dream. Verse 17, the, then Daniel went to his house and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you would know them uh, by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He told them about the matter. Verse 18, he urged them to ask the God of heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. And so Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed, but the rest of the Babylon's wise men. So who did Daniel and his friends go to? They went to the Lord. They prayed. And then verse 19, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of the heavens. So what was the source of the information? Where did Daniel find out the truth? He got it from the Lord. He got it from the Lord. Our culture has many answers. Our culture has much wisdom. But where our culture gets wisdom from some source other than the Lord, the wisdom is wrong. The culture has wisdom. They have an answer about how to build a healthy marriage. The culture has, has wisdom about how to raise godly children. The culture will tell us uh, what is the right and the wrong place for sex, the culture will tell us something of the value of the lives of babies. The culture will tell us how students should be educated, uh, what kinds of words that we should use when we speak to one another, how we should treat people who are different from us. The culture will tell us how we can help people overcome addictions, how we should use and spend money, how we can be good people. The culture will tell us what is love, what is hope, and what is peace. But listen, when the culture says something different than what God's Word says, the culture is wrong. Today the culture tells us, it warns us really, that we need to make sure that we're going to be on the right side of history. And what they mean by that is they're on the right side and we're on the wrong side, but we need to get on the right side or we're going to be embarrassed later on looking back because we're not on the right side of history. But listen, in this story, in Daniel chapter 2, all of these advisors... They were on, quote-unquote, culture's right side of history, right? But they were wrong. 
Who ended up being on the right side of history? Daniel ended up being on the right side of history. Now, how did Daniel know the truth? We've not read the verses yet. We may do this next week, but following what we have read, Daniel gives the, uh, a description of the dream, then he gives an interpretation of the dream. How was Daniel able to do that? None of the wise men could do it. Even under the pain of death, they couldn't do it. Why was Daniel able to give the truth, the truth? Well, let me share with you three things that we learn about Daniel in this account that tell us why he was able to give the truth when all the other wise men couldn't. And these three things need to be true of us, of me and you. Number one, Daniel knew the true source of wisdom. Daniel knew where to go for wisdom. The king had gone to the wise men. The wise men, the advisors, they didn't know where to go. Daniel knew exactly where to go. Now let's continue to read our passage. Daniel chapter 2 verse 19. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of heaven. And so how did Daniel get the information? God told him the information. The next verse Daniel declared, may the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. Where do we get wisdom? They belong. Wisdom and power, they belong to God. Verse 21, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. If you're going to have wisdom, it will, it will come from the Lord. And then verse 22, he reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Daniel knew that the answer came from the Lord. Now today we don't seek wisdom from the Lord through dreams because, because we have the Bible. Because the Lord has given us his word. Uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and as it has been given to man and been passed down through the generations, we have the Word of God. And so this is a blessing because there's no ambiguity in this and there's no discrepancy. If we all tried to uh, discern the Lord's will through dreams, that might get pretty complicated. Uh, but we have God's written Word. So Christians, church, we must decide that we're not going to get truth from our culture. We're not going to get truth from what seems right to sinful people. We're not going to get truth from what is convenient or easy, what's commonly believed, what people say is the right side of history. We're going to get truth from God's Word. Occasionally somebody will want to talk to me about some controversial issue and they want to debate. They want to sit down and, and uh, they, 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 I think, have this, um, this thought, this, they, they, they imagine the way the conversation is going to go and, and they think that it's going to be a battle of the wits and that there are going to be all kinds of philosophical arguments on one side and the other, and, and, and then we're going to talk about different cultural perspectives, and we're going to have this intellectual, heady conversation and debate the right and wrong, and, uh, and, and there is a time for that. I'm, I'm working on a second doctorate in how to do that, just so hopefully I can be a little bit better preacher for you. But listen, here's how that conversation usually goes, and people are very disappointed in it. Because I'll say, well, I believe it this way, 
And the reason is, that's what the Bible says. And that's not what they want to hear, right? They want to talk about, well, this epistemological approach, you know, will honor this ontological source of wisdom, and I think this, and, 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 and what about this, and this perspective? You know, and we can talk about those things, but for me, it all boils down, this is what the Bible says. You see, we've got to decide that we're going to get truth from the Lord. That was the difference between Daniel and all the other wise men. They were trying to get truth from a thousand different places. And I'm all for education and I'm all for educated people. But when it comes to the truths the Bible speaks to, it is the Bible that speaks with authority. I hear about Christians and, and even churches sometimes debating all these different, um, all these different ideas. I, I watched a, a, a video uh, here recently of a, um, uh, some churches in the area had brought somebody in to speak to some controversial issues. And uh, it, it happened in Lufkin, but I, I think uh, it, was, it was area churches that brought somebody in. And so I was interested uh, in what the, the gentleman had to say. And, and listen, uh, great communicator, a lot of flowery arguments. But I watched it and I thought, um, I, I can't imagine the hubris. I can't imagine the arrogance to think that you could stand up and debate something that's just plainly said in Scripture. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Listen, church, we need to be students of God's Word. What made the difference between Daniel and all the other wise men? Daniel was a student of God's Word. Not in the same way we can be, because he didn't have the Bible the same way we have it, but he was a student of God's Word. How can we be students of God's Word? That, that's a big question, and the, and the answer is a big answer, but, but, but let, me just, let me just give you one thing. Be here on Sundays. You know, we work really hard to make sure that we can stand and, and we can teach God's Word and, and teach it, hopefully in a compelling way, in a truthful way, in a precise way. And... Um, be here. Take, take notes. I, uh, every once in a while, somebody will uh, put on social media uh, a picture of their, well, sometimes of their sermon notes, and then sometimes of their kids' sermon notes. And those are the ones I like the most. And um, when I see those, I think, you know, they're parents that are teaching their kids what it means to pay attention and listen to God's Word. So, the first thing we notice about Daniel is that he knew the source of truth. The second thing we notice is this. Daniel was thankful for God's wisdom. So we're, we're, we're in Daniel 2. Let's read the next verse, verse 23. Uh, Daniel says, I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we have asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. So Daniel says to the Lord, thank you for your wisdom. Do you see that there? He begins the verse. I offer my thanks and praise to you. Why? You see at the end of the verse, because you've let us know the king's mystery, you've given us wisdom. Now the idea of being 
thankful for God's wisdom may not sound like a life-changing concept, uh, but, but listen to this. Have you ever heard someone say in a derogatory way of another person, maybe of their husband, <laughs> uh, that that information just goes where? In one ear and out the other. Uh, that's been said at my house a time or two. I love my wife. Uh, I usually hear that. I don't hear whatever it is she's referring to. But in one ear and out the other, uh, why would that ever be the case, that we would hear something without hearing it? Uh, it's interesting when I preach, you know, I have a, well, not a unique perspective because the people behind me, and I guess you get to see them, and they get to see you, but when I preach, I, um, I notice that there are some people that are just leaning in. They're just, what's, what, what else can I learn about God's Word? And then, yeah, then there are some others, okay? <laughs> and um, let's see, four rows down. To, no. <laughs> uh, the difference, the difference whether you really hear is how thankful you are for the information, how hungry you are, how much, how vital you believe the information is. Daniel, he said he was thankful for the wisdom. And then finally, Daniel was unashamed of God's wisdom. Let's just keep reading verse 26. The king said in reply to Daniel, so Daniel's now taken the information to the king. The king said in reply to Daniel, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, verse 27, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner uh, is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked. Daniel said, I just want you to know this, what, the, what you're asking could not be answered by any man, by any woman. And then the next verse, but, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dream and the visions that came into your mind as you lay in the bed were these, and then he lays them out. Now, where did Daniel claim he got the information about the dream? He didn't say that he reasoned it in his mind. He didn't say that he consulted with some people. He, he said it came 100% from the Lord. In fact, he was so clear. The, the, the question you're asking, King, no man can answer this question. But there is a God in heaven who knows. Listen, church, we need to know God's word. We need to be thankful for God's word. What a difference that makes. But then finally, we just need to be unashamed of God's word. There are times when, when, when we need to make these philosophical arguments, perhaps. And there are times when we need to make these evidentiary arguments. But we don't need to be unashamed to look at our family members, our coworkers, our boss, our professor, our students, and just say what we teach the children in children's church. It's true because the Bible says so, and if we think we need to be more sophisticated than that, then that is likely a sign that we are ashamed of God's truth. 
Daniel said, King, you're asking something that the wisest person here can't answer. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. How does this work out practically in our lives? I believe we all have opportunities. And listen, it may be risky at times. It certainly was risky for, for Daniel. But we all have opportunities. When there are controversies in our families, at work, in our community, in our, in our professional uh, careers, a thousand different ways. We have opportunities where we can say the plain answer to what is right and wrong is that the Bible says so. And we need to have the boldness of Daniel to say it that way. Hey, one, one just last thing to say. I love, we think of the idea of being ashamed. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. He says that the one thing we should absolutely be unashamed of is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You know what our friends need the most? You know what we need the most? It's not advice about money as important as that is. It's not counsel about how to get along with our spouse as important as that is. It's not what we, what we need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are lost because of our sin, separated from God. And there's no hope, there's no counsel, there's no worldly provision that can relieve us of that problem. There is only Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the grave. And if we'll trust what Christ has done for us, surrender our lives to him, the gospel, the good news is that that will be enough. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, Father, I pray as we continue to worship, I pray that we will be unashamed of the truth that you've given to us, that we will be thankful for it, and we'll seek to be knowledgeable about it. And Father, where we get a chance, like Daniel got a chance, to stand and say that no man has an answer, but God does that we'll be faithful to that opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' name.